Father in heaven, today we're coming home. Some of us have been away from you for a long time. Maybe we physically have gone to church, but we haven't really been there. But today we want to come home. Maybe we physically haven't even been in church. And we've had our reasons, but it's good today to be in the house of the Lord. And in this time where we study your word, we want your word to come home in our hearts. So bless the preaching of your word to that end, and may we solidify decisions that are in the center of your, your will, and may we even make new decisions for you during this hour. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. amen. The Gilead Company is a pharmaceutical company that's not too far from here in California, Forrester, California, or Foster City, California. And over the last several weeks, the stock from that, um, the stock from that company has gone up, skyrocketed, because they have a drug that they believe, or they believed at least, would help those that were facing the diagnosis of COVID-19 and uh, had great promise of combating it so that it would not prove fatal. But however, its stock fell when an incomplete Chinese trial, that is a research that was done on the drug, appeared to show that it did not improve the patient's condition or reduce the pathogen's presence in the bloodstream. It also showed that it was not associated with a clinical or a virological benefit. So the virus was not being, at least in this preliminary study, um, effectively cured. Now, of course, the study was incomplete. It was leaked, according to the drug company. And they say, wait, don't give up. We need to have a true trial. And they want their stock to go back up. And they hope that this still is the drug that would work. One of the commentators on MSNBC, speaking of this, I'll, I'll see if we, we can play this clip. Uh, he was talking about it, and let's listen to what he said. All right. Market trading so heavily on news based to Gilead. Well, okay, well, Gilead, again, remdesivir, um, I don't think is, is something that's going to uh, change the world, but. Uh, you get different drugs that you work with remdesivir. Uh, you may be working with remdesivir the moment people come in with an IV. And what happens is, is that you take, maybe you take fatality off the table. Uh, people don't live in fear of COVID. They live in fear of death. And right now, COVID feels like death sentence for a lot of people. Um, if you knew that there was a drug that made it so that the vast majority of people did not die, um, whatever drug that is, and maybe it's from Desivir, maybe it's something else, um, then that would be fantastic. And you take that off the table. Um, so did you hear what he said? People are not living in fear of COVID-19. They live in fear of death. Jim Cramer, um, a stock market analyst, analyst for many years, picks the stocks that will go up and down, and people follow him all over. And he, and he said, the real fear is not COVID-19, it is death. Now, since this has come across the country over the last several weeks, virtual church attendance has skyrocketed with websites and digital media recording thousands, even millions of visits, along with unprecedented downloads. And the Alabaster Bible Manufacturing Company has seen Sales of its Bibles go up 143% over last year at this time. And LifeWay, which is a Baptist Christian book 
sales have seen 62% increase last week as compared to last year. People recognize that at this point, science does not have the answer. And suddenly, they realize they need help. And where are they looking? They're looking to the author of science, that is God. There would be no science without Scripture, but they forgot that fact most people have <laughs> in the world. And they don't realize that the actual paradigm for scientific study, like some of us have studied this last week, comes from passages like Daniel chapter 1, where they had two groups and they were tested. Remember this? And all of these, in fact, uh, science did not originate in any but a Judeo-Christian culture. That's where science originated. And yet, they've forgotten about the origin of science and they forgot about the author of science. Science just means to know. And the one that knows everything is, of course, God himself. And so people are heading back to his book and they're heading back to at least online church um, at this point. So what does the Bible say about the fear of death? What does the Bible say about it today? Does it have anything better to say than the drug companies right now? Well, actually, um, ask another question before that. Do you live in fear of death? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, that humanity does struggle with, quote, the fear of death, and that this fear makes them all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. So, in any given time in Earth's history, people have lived in fear of what? Death. And, and that fear has, in some sense, put them in bondage. But praise God, the Bible also says in the same passage that Christ came to this planet and he became flesh and blood. That is, he had the same also genetics as Abraham, the same seed of Abraham. He came flesh and blood. He came down into the virus-infected world. He came down into the darkness. He identified with humanity, became the same flesh and blood. And then notice what it says, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, how do you think that's good news? So the biggest fear of mankind, the most ubiquitous fear, everybody has it, is the fear of death. And he came down he was born, and he lived. He was born to die. He lived to die. He died, and then he rose again. In fact, this idea of resurrection is the core teaching of Christianity. Throughout the Gospels, throughout um, the book of Acts especially, the Gospels alluding to it in the future. Jesus said, I'll die, and after three days I'll rise. They seem to forget that. As we studied earlier, some of us, in Luke 24, where they were all depressed. He had to give them another Bible study, beginning with Moses and the Scriptures and the prophets and all things concerning himself, to teach that that resurrection was foretold. And he was victorious over death. Uh, several times I've gone with Pastor Jim Gilley, and we go and take tour groups over to Israel. And the last thing we do, or one of the last things we do, is we go to the site of the empty tomb. And we're there at the empty tomb, and we talk about how Jesus came and drank the cup of judgment for us. In the Seder service, there were four cups that they would drink. In the communion service, you just have one. But in the Seder service, they have four cups based on a passage in the book of Leviticus, I believe it is. And those four um, actions of God. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He brings us out of Egypt, out of all these different things. Those cups symbolize that. But there was also a fifth cup that they normally uh, you know, didn't celebrate. It was the cup of judgment, the cup of Elijah. And when Jesus came, he actually drank that fifth cup. He actually took the judgment on himself, died, and then was victorious over death. Now, based on historical evidence alone, 1,400 scholars, even critical unbelievers, admit Jesus died by crucifixion. Tacitus says it. Josephus says it. Pliny says it. All these Roman uh, historical authorities say this. 
He was buried. Joseph of Arimathea testified to that. His death caused his disciples to despair and lose hope. Luke chapter 24 documents that. The tomb was empty. The Jews even admitted this. They would not have wanted to admit that. That is strong evidence that it was in fact empty. The disciples had experiences in which they believed they were literal appearances of the risen Christ. In fact, for 40 days in Acts chapter 1, he went around for 40 days talking to them, studying with them, encouraging them. 40 days. The disciples were transformed from doubters into bold proclaimers. The resurrection was their central theme over 100 times in the book of Acts and the other epistles. They preached in Jerusalem. They could have easily been dismissed if that was not true in Jerusalem. And the Christian church was born and grew based on this fact, that Christ died, but then he rose again. How many can say hallelujah? Is this related to having fear or relating to death? Directly related. Because he had victory over it. Both James and Paul, who were skeptics, were converted. And there was no, no tomb that was ever venerated. Now, of course, no other religious figure has ever predicted his own resurrection and then accomplished it. Um, all the other world religions were based on a founder who lived in the past and whose religion is his only legacy. Muhammad died at age 61 on June 8, 8632 in Medina. Buddha, oh, by the way, he's still dead. Muhammad's still dead. Buddha, he's dead. Confucius, he's dead. But however, Jesus Christ is alive. Can you say hallelujah? And this is what gives us confidence in the time of COVID-19, in the time... When people are not really afraid of COVID-19, but that they really fear is death. Christ conquered something else, though, and I think it's important to point this out. Often we talk just about the resurrection, that he came from the dead, but he conquered something else. What was it that he conquered? Well, notice these texts. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, the wages of what? Is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What kind of life? eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what was it that led to death? Sin. And notice this, what the scripture says. The spirit of life in Christ, we could have the spirit of life that was in Christ and thus be free from the law of what? Sin and death. Notice this. We can have victory not only over death, but victory also over what? Sin. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say something. You can't have victory over one without the victory over the other. You have to have victory over sin if you're going to have victory over death. How many, have victory, how many want to have victory over death? And sometimes the reason we're so concerned about death is because we know we're sinning. And we know we're doing things that are wrong. Maybe we're doing something wrong in our marriage. Maybe we're doing something wrong in our life. Maybe we're doing something wrong with our kids. Maybe we're doing something wrong with our parents. Maybe we're fostering something, some secret sin, but we know about it. God knows about it, and we know he knows about it. And so we're afraid of death. Now, how many of you want to have victory in every area of your life and allow Christ to have victory in every area of your life? Now, you can't have it, but he can have it. He can give you the fruits of the Spirit. He can give you love. He can give you joy. He can give you peace. He can give you long-suffering. He can give you faithfulness. He can give you self-control. Did you learn anything about self-control recently? He can actually, he can take the cognitive distortions, which are major, majorly 10 of them, when they came out of, on that exit experience, he knew that they had 10 distortions, so he gave 10 plagues to identify the distortions. And then he replaced those distortions with 10 commandments when he went up to the mountain. Can you say Hallelujah. He took them away from the ten distortions and replaced them with ten commandments. And what is the largest quotation from the Old Testament to the New Testament? I gave it to some of people this last week to study. And it says this, I will write my law on your heart and on your mind. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. No one will have to tell his neighbor because everybody knows about it. Ultimately, everyone's going to know about this. They don't right now, but they will. And then they'll have to decide. 
Am I going to allow him to write his law in my heart and in my mind? And I'm going to allow him to blot out my transgressions and forgive my iniquity. You see, victory over sin is promised by God because he makes those I will statements. I will write it. I will do it. He says it seven times. I will be your God and, I, and you will be my people. I will write it on your heart. I will write it in your mind. How many want God to do that? And that's why in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, it says that we walk uh, according to the Spirit, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How many of you like to look at a passage someday that uh, looks at the flesh versus the Spirit? Would that be a good exercise? Um, you know, last week we looked at that with a group here, and we looked at Daniel chapter 5. But every single chapter in the Bible, you can look at it that way. Flesh versus spirit. And that's going to tell you, that's going to illustrate to you where it is that you may have sin in your life, and you need a Savior in your life. Hallelujah. And when you surrender in all those areas, then you can say like Paul. You can say like Paul uh, says in this, next, in this next passage. So for the Christian, hope is not based on discovery of some drug that can stop COVID-19 uh, in this particular time period. It's not based on the discovery of a vaccine, however great that might be. For the Christian and for anyone really, hope is founded in the fact that Christ has conquered both sin and death. Now how many want him to have that victory in your life as well? That's the picture that's given. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is an early picture of him they found somewhere, um, he uh, said this. He was so convinced that he could say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and I want you to remember this phrase. This is what he could say. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'll say that with me. For me to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. Can you say that? Can you say that? Can you really say that? What does he mean by this? To live is Christ and to die is gain. What does this mean? What does this phrase mean? Was he advocating for ending one's life? Was he saying, look, just commit suicide? Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that. He was saying what? That his confidence in Christ and his resurrection was so great that it did not matter whether he was dead or alive, because he trusted Christ in life and he trusted him in death. How many of you want to have that kind of confidence? That kind of confidence. Now, some of you might have felt like, you know, this past week, somewhere in your life, you know, God convicted you of something, of some area. You said, I, I, I would never do that. It would be like dying for me to address that in my life. It would be like dying to address that cognitive distortion. It would be like dying to say I'm sorry to my wife. It would be like dying to say I'm sorry to my husband. It would be like dying to whatever it is, fill in the blank. Paul wouldn't say that. He says, look, for me to live is Christ. I want to bring my life into accordance with Christ's life. And to die is gain. If God wanted him to die at the hands of the fickle Roman emperor Nero, and he was fickle. How many of you have ever heard about Nero? Nero was nobody's hero except himself. Nero thought he had the gift of singing when no one had the gift of listening. He would go on tours to other countries representing Rome and sing and embarrass the whole nation. But when you came back home, he would make everybody sit there and listen to him sing, and if they went to sleep, he would kill them. He actually killed his own mother. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but that's what kind of made him go mad. He built a ship for her. He was afraid of her because she killed all kinds of people to make him emperor, and he was terrified of her. He had the fear of death. She had the fear of death, and they both stood because they all killed everybody. His mother had killed his father, Claudius, by giving him some poison mushrooms and had killed some other people as well. It was the culture of death. And Nero was so afraid of his mother that he built a boat that was meant to explode in the middle of the lake that he sent her out in, or to the sea. Puts her on the boat, sends her out, and it's sure enough, the boat crashes, it falls apart, everybody drowns. But he sees one lone figure swimming towards shore. Could it be? Was it? Yes, it was. It was his mother. 
So he sent out some assassins to have her killed. And after that, he kind of went crazy. He kind of went crazy. And this was the guy who was going to make a decision about whether or not Paul would live or die. Rome burned. They've been to accuse him of it. And then Paul was going to have to face him. But this is what Paul said in that setting. In that death-oriented setting, he said that he would demonstrate faithfulness under pressure and ultimately death if God wanted him to do that. If you want me to die and go out blazing the hand of Nero, I'll do it. If he died, the next thing he would see would be Christ at the resurrection and the thought filled him with joy. Next thing I'll see like that is Christ. So that did not alarm him. Secondly, if God saw fit to have him abide in the flesh, Philippians 1, verse 24, he would continue to build the Philippians up, not the Philippines, the Philippians, <laughs> Philippines would be good too, build the Philippians up. You like that, Charlotte, don't you? <laughs> We're going to fix that, okay? <laughs> uh, build them up in the furtherance and joy of their faith. He says, look, if I die with Nero, the next thing's going to be Jesus. So go ahead if you want to do that, Lord, if you want that to happen. But if I live, I'm going to have joy if I die. I'm going to have joy if I live because I'm going to build up some people in faithfulness towards you, and that's going to be my focus. You know what happens, folks? The reason is, the reason sometimes we get depressed and anxious is we don't have that focus. How many of you are kind of sick of focusing on yourself? You know, when you focus on yourself, I mean, at least when I do, it gets more and more depressing. You know, but when I can start to focus on other people, that's where joy comes. That's where joy comes, and that's what he was saying. And he said this, I want to be, if I'm alive, I'll further their joy and their faith, and their rejoicing will be more abundant in Jesus Christ. And this is why he could say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Another place he says, I would like to be absent from the body, and present with the Lord. I want to be absent from this mortal body and present with that immortal body that I will get at that last day. Can you say hallelujah? That's what he's saying. How many want to have that kind of focus in your life? Victory over sin and death. You know, I years ago used to work in healthcare, and I worked in various places of the hospital. Anybody's watching from St. Joe or Benton Harbor or... Chicago, I'm, I don't know. Some of the people probably are retired now I worked with. And we would work. And I remember working for some shifts on oncology. And as I'd be on the oncology ward, we'd be giving those chemotherapy drugs and people would be uh, facing, you know, death. But sometimes, um, you know, we'd be in settings where we were letting them know what the biopsy was and when things came back and letting them know uh, whether they had a death sentence or not. And I can remember going into the room one day with the physician, seeing a patient, and the patient said, you know, this is going to be bad news, Don. I want you to go in with me, and don't, you know, don't smile like you normally do. You know, don't act goofy. Back then I acted a little goofy. Just go in there and just keep, you know, take a chill pill, and we're going to go in, and this is solemn. We're going to tell them, we're going to tell them the bad news, that they only have two, two months to live. Maybe six. So we went in. And she told the pa- he told the patient, and guess what the patient said? How wonderful. That's the best news I heard all day. Thank you, doctor. Turned to their spouse. Hallelujah. We were like, what is happening? And then the patient said, I soon will be face to face with Christ. Oh, it's going to be much better than this pain, much better than the suffering. We kind of just looked at each other. Doctor was flabbergasted. Looked at me. How could the death sentence of cancer bring joy and not fear and panic? And the reason was, as we learned as we listened to them, that they too were both very committed believers in Christ. And they had gotten the concept for me to live is Christ. That's okay if he wants me to do that, but also to die is gain. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are going, I don't know if I like that idea. How many of you say, you haven't convinced me yet? Here's what convinces you. Here's what convinces you that what I'm saying is true. And I need to be even more convinced, okay? 
And that is by beholding Christ all the time. If you want to look at Christ, you want to see what he's done and what he's doing, look at John chapter 13 and go through 18. That's the passion. Look at what, read the gospel of Mark. Look at it. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you, you look at him so much that you die, and you're beholding him. You become more and more like him, and you would like to, you would like to walk and talk and be with him. Hallelujah. Now, when my grandfather was older, you know, he would pray in his room. And he would pray and cry out to Jesus, almost as if he was talking to Jesus. And he had a much better conversation with Jesus than he ever had with me, because <clears throat> I'm not like Jesus. And he would be talking. And he, was, he would say often to me, he'd say, you know, why am I still alive? He'd look at my brother and I'd say, why am I still alive? It must be for you boys. It must be for you boys. I'd rather be seeing Jesus. I'd rather be with Jesus at that resurrection. I'd rather be with my wife at that resurrection. But I am with you. That must be for you. You know? For me to die would be gain. And to live also is for Christ. And, and I'll let him make the decision. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, says Paul. Now, what's the context again? He was there in Nero's uh, court, ready to be judged. Um, now, first he was judged not guilty and set free, but he didn't know this because Nero was fickle. But ultimately, he would be executed because Nero executed both Paul and Peter. So what did Paul do? How did he live during this setting? Just to review it again. He prepared for both eventualities. And this is what I want to say to you. Um, this is how we have to live. He prepared for both eventualities, life and death, and he saw the joy of either. Joy if he were to be sentenced to death, because the next thing he'd experience would be joy-filled, face-to-face experience with Christ. Or joy if he were to live, for if he did live, he'd be able to build up and rejoice with the church in Philippi. How many of you want to live that way? I'm going to live that way. Look, God has people in your life Maybe he has children in your life. And you say, look, I'm going to be here for those kids. I'm going to do everything I can for those kids. I'm going to be there for my husband. I'm going to be there for the people that are in my church. I'm going to be there for the people that are in my community. I'm going to throw myself into serving them every day to show them the love of Christ. How many think that's a great focus? So that's one focus. And I'm going to, have, I'm going to be ready, though, to die I'm not concerned if I die because the next thing I'm going to see is Jesus. That's it. I have my will. It's written out. (laughs) I'm, I'm ready to go. This is the picture that Paul is describing with this phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. All right, let's go on. Now, it's actually like this. Now, we didn't have any of these in the, in the, in the Depression Recovery Program. Did you see any of these? If you saw any of these, you probably got them from someone else, another participant. Confess it right now. Did, did you have any candy bars this week? But what Paul is saying, he says that when he thinks about life and death, it's like having a marathon bar or, 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 or a payday. It's like thinking about two different candy bars. He's kind of like a person at a candy shop, and he's saying, look, I got a choice of which candy bar I buy. They're both very sweet. They both are very attractive. They both are attractive alternatives. Have you ever been offered two different very sweet things or beautiful things to eat and you can't decide? You know? Well, this is kind of him. He's going, well, these are both so good I can't decide because both of them have great payoffs. What should I choose? I can't tell, he says. But whatever the choice, he felt like he was in a win-win situation. How many want to get to that place where you feel like you're in a win-win situation? Of course, he's not going to end his own life. That would be breaking the commandment, and then that would not be a win-win situation. He was letting God make that decision as to when and where and how and what would happen. And he was saying, look, each, either of those is as sweet as a candy bar to me. Did I say that word? Candy bar. Okay. A mango to me. Let's put it that way. 
Not that I speak in respect of one, he said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be what? Content. He has great peace. Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace. Great peace. Remember Corey Timboom? She was that Holocaust survivor who saw her sister Betsy brutalized, and she was many times. Terrible things. But they would pray. They would pray. And they would pray odd prayers. And they would see how God was answering, even in the midst of torture, even in the midst of suffering. While imprisoned by the Nazis, Tenboom and her sister enjoyed relative freedom in their cell because the guards did not like the fleas that infested it. And they began to praise God for the fleas. Because these creeps could not creep in to their lives. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah? So God sent the fleas and protected them. You know, and then Paul thought, you know, I always wanted to go to Spain. He talks about how I want to go to Spain. But he ended up instead in Rome. He wanted to share the gospel with the most influential cities. He wanted to stand before the emperor and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was realizing this dream. Even though he was facing death, he realized he was realizing the dream of proclaiming Christ. Several months ago when the COVID virus hit Italy and people began to die in Italy and many of them were and the older demographic, of course, there are those who are young, but many of them were older and they had done many things that the Bible would say would be sins against the flesh that kind of set them up to not be able to resist the virus in many different ways, and they were dying. And there was a pastor who was among them, and he got COVID-19, and he went in and he had a fever and was short of breath, and he began working there. And he began going, he realized that he was probably going to die, so guess what he did? Because you have a, a time, I guess, with COVID-19 until just like the very last, then your lungs really go south, and if the ventilator doesn't help you, you die, right? But he had time up until then. Guess what he did? He took his Bible. He began to walk around among the patients. He began to pray for them. He began to lead them to Christ. And the doctors began to see it. These were doctors who prided themselves in not believing in God, not believing in science, but they saw this pastor, and he was praying for these people, right up to his last breath, and it changed their hearts. They began to ask him to pray for them. They became believers. They had been atheists, but now they were believers, and they started praying and meeting for prayer. And the one described how they saw that doctor come in, or they saw that pastor come in, and pray for the last patient he prayed for. And they all had a tear, but they said this. They said, you know what? We want our lives. We know we're all going to get sick. We know we don't have the personal protective equipment we need. We know it's probably uh, it's true we're going to die. I think uh, about 16% of all the deaths in Italy were of healthcare workers. Same thing's happening in America, people getting sick. So they knew that. They said, look, we, we, we're probably going to die. We're going to get this. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out like that pastor. We're going to help people. We're going to pray with people. We're going to point people to belief in God. For them to live became, to, became Christ. To live is Christ, and to die was gain. How many want to have that experience? That's the experience he had. Ever since Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, Christ and his cause was his focus 24-7. 24-7. It was his joy. It was his purpose in life. I want that to be my purpose. Mark Twain said it this way once. The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. I, mean, I think Mark Twain had, had captured the same idea. A fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. Have you been living in fear? Fear that someone might find out how you really think about them? Fear about what you're doing? Fear in different ways? Right? <laughs> Usually related to what? Sin and death. But if you live that full life, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, give you confidence. Now how could he have this experience? Galatians 2.20, as we're coming to a close. He said this, 
I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Christ Jesus lives in me. What was his secret to living with no fear of death? His secret was to die. So if you're afraid of death, then die, is what he's saying. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Christ Jesus lives in me. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. In fact, I even die every day. Now, he didn't kill himself. Did he kill himself? No. He allowed himself to be what? Crucified with Christ. Crucified to the things of the flesh. He allowed that to happen. He signed the consent form. And he did it how often? Every single day. Now look at the context of that, if you brought your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the context of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is the resurrection chapter in the New Testament. And that's why we sang that great anthem, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's look at the context of this passage. Um, okay, we're, we're starting there in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are above all men the most pitiable. So your confidence in Christ has to transcend this life. This life is nothing. It's infinitesimal. It's basically nothing compared to eternity, yes? And so the bulk of the payoff is not what you're going to get by having a successful monetary uh, uh, you know, income. You know, some people, they say, look, I want to make a million bucks. I want to, make a, I want to be a billionaire. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you know what? That's like, that's like gripping onto the bright side of darkness because it's darkness. All the streets in heaven are going to be gold. So don't bother trying to focus on all kinds of money here. It's going to be crazy when you get up and say, look at this stuff. It's worth nothing. What, what really is worthwhile is eternity. Can you say Amen. I've had people sitting in the, in the counseling room that have said to me, you know, I, I, had, I, I had this desire when I was a young man, when I was a young woman, to make all the money and to be successful. And now here I am, 50. Here I am, 55. And I have all that. But I have nothing else. I got to the top of the hill, and there's nobody there. How many of you don't want that to happen? And that's why it says, if, we, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead, verse 20, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ shall all be what? Made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits. And after those who are Christ's, <coughs> when is the resurrection? At his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, and when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. He's delivering the kingdom to who? The Father. Who's the king? He's, he's the king. Who's the dumps? We are. His, we're his domain. And he said, here they are. Here are the ones who said to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he delivers them to the Father. And all the slots where those fallen angels had left are filled with the faithful. How many of you are part of the faithful that fill those slots? That's the picture that's given. For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And he did that as the first fruits. And he'll do it with you and your life as well as the promise here. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under his feet is accepted. Now... When all things will be made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who will put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And he's, he's basically saying, it, it's going to happen. I lived. I died. I rose again. You are living. You are going to die. But you will rise again. Can you say hallelujah? And then the, notice this odd text, this odd text that comes next. Verse 29, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise? Now, some people say they take that text and they say, our Mormon friends take that text and they say, look, you need to do genealogies. You've got to figure out who wasn't baptized or the, all the dead people in your family and you get baptized for them. Is that the meaning of the text? No, the meaning of the text is this. 
When they saw people die, when they saw Christians die, they saw that they died with such confidence. They saw that when they came to death, they came with such confidence in Christ. They were so invested in Christ. It's almost as if they'd seen Christ like Paul did on the road to Damascus. They were beholding him. They recognized him. And when they died, it was a dynamic experience. And because of how they died, they said, what did they say? I want to get baptized too. I want to get baptized. Because look at how they died. Can you see that? That's what they're saying. The dead do not rise at all. Why then are they baptized? And why should we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why should we, in other words, why should we, what does that mean? Stand in jeopardy every hour. Danger, fear, frightened. Why should we do that? We're not doing that. I affirm by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So he says, look, the secret to not being afraid of death is to die every day. How many want to do that? That's the point. Now, if you can have victory over the fear of death, you're going to have victory over any fear or anxiety you ever come up against. How many think that's probably true? Probably true. Can you and I have this experience? Can our lives be so consumed with Christ that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain? How many think we can have that experience? That's what the Bible is saying. You know, I've been thinking about nurses a lot and physicians that are on the front line, but of course I think about nurses more because I am a nurse. And this is the year of the nurse. 2020 was the year that was voted of the nurse. How would they know that the year of the nurse would actually end up being the year of the nurse? This is the year of the nurse, according to the World Health Organization. And nurses are on the front lines, and there's touching stories coming from around the globe of how nurses are doing something. You know what they're doing? They're making a statement with what they're doing. And their statement is this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They're getting up every day and they're going and taking care of people, realizing they don't have the protection sometimes, going into harm's way. Some of the testimonies, she died doing what she loved most, caring for people. That's self-sacrificing love. Doesn't have to do it. He knew he was putting himself in a dangerous position going to work. But he, like other medical professors, prepared his whole life to be on the front lines helping people. His whole life he was preparing for possible death. For him to live was to care for people and to die, if that happens, it's gain because he's on the front lines and he's helping people. I saw the stories of how the nurses are there and they're becoming the very family members for people who, whose family can't come in. They don't want them to die alone, and so they become their families. They're taking their iPads, they're taking their phones, and they're showing them their families. They're letting them talk to them, and when they're not there, they're holding their hands. And you know what's driving them back? I am the only person that can be a family for them. Let me go into the hospital. Let me go in, because I don't want people to go to a Christless grave or a grave alone. How many want to have that? I want to have that kind of attitude. That's the picture that we're seeing. Now, you know, how do you do this? I don't know if my son's going to like this or not, but the practical step that the Bible talks about, I want to show you a picture of a nurse who was baptized in a minute that came through the Depression Recovery Program. Before that, I'm going to show you a picture of uh, the death of one of my children. And this is the death. The Bible says that when you're baptized, you're baptized into his death. So, here's Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful for Donnie's decision. We're thankful for his uh, interesting personality and for what he brings to every conversation with his quick wit and with his way to make people feel comfortable. And we ask that those talents could be used to bring many souls to you. We ask that the Holy Spirit would rest upon him and that he would be grow into being more and more of a leader as he already is now. May he even be more of a leader for you and to use his talents for your cause. So send your spirit upon him in a special way at this time of his baptism. In Christ's name, amen. It gives me great joy now, Donnie, to baptize you.
In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to show you another baptism of a nurse that came through our program. But let me tell you something about the baptism. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> I don't want to cry. Of my kids. That meant so much to me. To see them die. <laughs> meant so much. Now, what happened leading up to that was there had been a young guy named Ben Kruger. A real dynamic individual, kind of a man's man, and one of our parishioners' um, sons, if they're watching now. And uh, he had gotten into an unfortunate accident, and he died, 20-some years old. <clears throat> and my kids really, really liked talking to him. And they realized <laughs> when they saw that, they said, you know, life is not always assured. And they came to me and they said, you know, Dad, we want to study. <laughs> we want to get baptized. I said, why do you want to do that? And they said, you know, because we don't know <laughs> when we're going to die. We don't know when anyone's going to die. And we want to make things right with God. And that's what led to it. And uh, how many think that was pretty sound reasoning? They said, look, we want our lives right with God. And they made that decision. Now, here's another baptism. This is uh, Christy. And Christy came to our program. I just called her. I texted her before the service today and asked her if I could show this. She said, fine. She shares her own testimony. She came to a depression recovery program. And I don't want to mischaracterize or say anything that's um, not kind. I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just trying to be accurate. She was a handful. She had had multiple suicide attempts. She had had situations in her life <clears throat> that had set her up to feel worthless, that had set her up to feel as though life wasn't worth living, that had gotten her onto multiple medications, and she was a very talented nurse. She's a very bright nurse. And you can listen to her own testimony yourself. I'm not going to do it justice. The actual clip that I have, I cut it down here, was a 19-minute clip where she went through and shared her testimony. I probably should have just shown that to you. But what she realized was that even her attempts to kill herself were, were fruitless because they were not really addressing the issues. The issue was she needed to die to self in a spiritual way, not a physical way, but in a spiritual way. That's what she needed. And so she, I, I still remember when she came, I couldn't believe it when she came and said to me, you know, I think that I'd like to be, I'd like to be baptized. I was shocked. I said, uh, oh, what did you say? And she told me. And we sat there in the sunroom and she talked to me about it. And then she was baptized. And since that time, her life has been described by that text, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And you can, amazing things. You should actually listen to her testimony that have happened in her life. It's like some of your testimony. Some of you have made decisions to be baptized as well. I'm looking forward to those baptisms this afternoon. Some of you also might be thinking about it again now. Maybe you, you weren't thinking about it till now. And if you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Let's look at this, and then I'll just close with a few remarks about this. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for Christy. I thank you for her, her decisions that only could be made and only sustained through the power of God over these past uh, number of, of weeks. And Lord, I, uh, I pray for her little boy, Liam. I pray for her parents. I pray for those within her family. I pray for Liam's father. I pray, pray for all those that will be watching this video later as a testimony of your power. And I ask, Lord, now that you would especially des descend upon Christy. In Christ's name, amen. amen. It gives me great joy, Christy, now to baptize you in the name of the Father, 
the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Can you say amen? This is a life redeemed, reoriented. And it all happened because of what? A death. And then a resurrection. And then a life for Christ. For me to love, to die is gain. So I can live for Christ. So what are the steps? Number one, in the Christian walk, get baptized, die with him, be buried with him by baptism into death. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Be planted in the likeness of his death. And then be crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, done away with. Because remember, victory over sin is related to victory over death. How many want to have that victory in your life? And he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus died on a cross for you and for me. How many remember this? He died on a cross. And when he was dying on the cross, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a terrible ordeal. And the Garden of Gethsemane is really where he died, you might say. The cross physically was a small thing, but the separation for God. And when he was there in Gethsemane, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. And it's like, it's like if God's not with you, you're basically dead, right? Why is thou forsaken? The wrath of God's coming on him, not because of what he did, but because of what you did and because of what I did. And he said, not my will. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In Luke chapter 22, remember we studied this, verse 43. As soon as he said that, what happened? An angel came and strengthened him. Why is it that we need to be crucified? Why is it we need to die and be crucified? Because of the infirmity of our flesh, because of our feebleness, because of our disease, because of our weaknesses, because of our strengthlessness, because we're tempted to obey it, that is, our human nature and its lust and the desires. We're tempted to do that. And this is why Paul said, you know what? I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. I die daily. And then he says, they that are Christ's have followed this example, being crucified in the flesh. So get baptized, be crucified with him, identify with Christ's resurrection power, and be like Christ, raised with him, the likeness of his resurrection, saying, of my own self, I can do nothing, and all power then is given to me in heaven and earth, he said afterwards. And this is the picture that's given. The words spoken from heaven at his baptism were precious evidence to him that his father approved the steps he was taking in the plan of salvation as man's substitute and surety. The opening heavens and the descent of the heavenly dove were assurance that his father would unite his power in heaven with that of his son on earth. How many think that's a powerful thing? And rescue men from the control of Satan. God had accepted the effort of Christ to link heaven to earth and that finite man to the infinite God. When he got baptized, his power was linked with his Father's power to help other people have power. How many of you have other people in your life have power? How many of you want to have your husband have power, your wife have power, your kids have power, everyone else in your life? That's it. In the autumn of 27, Christ was baptized. And it says... God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with what? And with power when the Savior himself declared, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was able to focus on others and be effective in that. And then one last one. As the Christian submits to the solemn rite of baptism, the three highest powers in the universe, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, place their approval on his act, pledging themselves to exert their power in his behalf as he strives to honor God. How many of you think that's just a, if that's true, that's the most powerful thing ever. And that's why people are baptized. You notice as I baptize both of them, I baptize you, this is based on Matthew chapter 28, in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, amen. And they're pledging themselves to give them confidence and boldness that they might be faithful in life, and even unto death. I don't know about you, but these are powerful promises. And we heard in our scripture reading today that powerful 
Psalm, Psalm 23. And let's remind ourselves of it as we're closing. Here it is. Psalm 23. It's the key for confidence in facing death. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me be beside the still waters. He restores my soul. How many of you like it when he's the shepherd? How many of you have ever had green pastures in your life? How many of you have ever had still waters? How many of you have things that you're thankful for that God has done for you? I've had many of those. Yea, then it says, well, here's the reality. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? I will fear no evil, for you are what? With me, your rod and your staff, they Comfort me. Now, if you've ever seen the valley of the shadow of death, Pastor Gilly, when we go over to Israel, Malcolm took us and they showed us where the sheep will get down in these valleys. You can't even see anything down there. It's dark. It's like there's hills and then there's a valley. The only way you're going to get out is with the rod and staff of a shepherd. And that's what's pictured here. Your rod and staff comfort me. And it's showing that as you're in that valley of shadow of death, you are with me. How many, how, many, how many believe that by faith? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then notice, when that assurance comes, what it can say? You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Now this is in the presence of what? Death. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow, what a powerful promise. Now I want to end today, I think, how many of you already see what the appeal is of Scripture? How many of you see that? COVID-19 culture of death. People are not afraid of COVID-19. They're afraid of death. Why are they afraid of death? Probably because of sin in their life. Because they have victory over the fear of death. You must have victory over sin. Can you have victory over sin? Yourself? Absolutely not. But is there someone who has won the victory? Is there someone who has won the victory? And is there someone who has said, I'll give you the victory? Is there someone that has said that? It's Jesus. When I thought about this song, I don't know. I heard Willie Nelson singing in my head. I don't know if that's spiritual or not. But the song that he sang came to my mind. I am weak. How many of you feel weak? But thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long. As I walk, let me walk close to thee. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you took so many steps down from your throne. You couldn't help but see our situation. And you did not consider it robbery to be equal with the Father, but you made yourself of no reputation. Took on yourself the form of a servant. And you became, as a man, you became obedient, even unto death, the death of the cross. Thank you for that. And thank you for these who physically have taken a step forward toward you today. Bless their decision. Bless each step in the future. And thank you for those in their heart who have made that step either here or at home. Thank you that as though, though we walk through the valley of the shadow in a land of death, you've had victory over the grave. And we've had victory over sin. And you've promised to give both of those things to us. And we thank you. We accept them by faith. And we come in Christ's name. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.